0: This is Food Issues. In every episode, we bring you experts to tackle the real challenges around feeding kids and offer practical insight to help organizations, communities, and parents create change. I'm your host, Julie Revelon. This week, we're talking about inflammation, chronic disease, anti-inflammatory foods, and what it all has to do with our kids. We were never designed, I think, to have
1: a lot of milk later on in life.
0: That's Dr. Maria Mascarenas, a pediatric gastroenterologist at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which is considered the leading pediatric hospital in the United States. She's also the co-author of a new book, The Anti-Inflammatory Family Cookbook. We'll talk about the best anti-inflammatory foods, easy ways to serve them, how to encourage your kids to try new foods, and be adventurous little foodies. Dr. Mascarenas, it's so good to welcome you to the Food Issues Podcast.
1: Thank you, Julie. I'm really delighted to be here and really excited about my book and talking to you about it.
0: Great. Well, I would like to start today by talking about inflammation. So we hear about inflammation everywhere. Everything we read, we hear about it. But what is it exactly? So inflammation
1: is um, the body's response to injury. Uh, result, and this results in healing. So it's really the way the immune response response is the biggest part of this. So the way I like to think about it is there are two kinds of inflammation, acute, that means what happens right away, and chronic, what happens over time. Um, pardon my medical explanation, but this is the way I see it. <laughs> acute is kind of when you scratch your, scratch your knee or you, you fall down, uh, you scrape it, there's a little bit of pain, there's redness, there's swelling, the temperature goes up. That's acute inflammation, and what happens is the body sends all these inflammatory cells there to try and control the inflammation, to protect your body. Chronic inflammation happens over time, as I said, and this happens when our body gets hit by many stresses over a long period of time and doesn't get a chance to heal in between. So these stressors could be lack of sleep, environmental pollutants, unhealthy foods, infections, overwork, stress, um, and this compounds and, and leads to the state of chronic inflammation that our bodies are in. And chronic inflammation, we know, not just affects physical health, but mental health as well. It's kind of like a runaway response of our immune system.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And so would you say that most people have chronic inflammation, including children?
1: Well, I think uh, that's a good good point. I hadn't thought about it that way. I would say yes. Um, um, you know, we have acute inflammation, but given the environment we live in, there's probably more chronic inflammation in us than we recognize. And certainly adults have a lot of chronic inflammation. Uh, some of it's manifested in, you know, the diseases we associate with chronic inflammation, but some of it may be more subtle. Um, and, uh, sometimes despite our best efforts to keep it at bay.
0: Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and tell me, what are the chronic diseases and conditions, both obvious and subtle, that are linked to inflammation? So we know the obvious
1: ones, right? Obesity, diabetes, hypertension, asthma, um, arthritis, um, inflammatory bowel disease, some cancers, uh, fatty liver deposition in, uh, you know, fat deposited in our liver, uh, even cognitive decline, um, in children, some of it may be related to, um, um, you know, just mental health, depression, anxiety, ADHD, Alzheimer's. So, so there's uh, Alzheimer's in adults, but there are many, many conditions out there that we are now linking with chronic inflammation.
0: Okay. And what about leaky gut syndrome? How do you feel about that? So leaky gut is an
1: interesting thing because leaky gut um, basically in medical terms is increased gut permeability. And while we know that certain foods, you know, are, are, have been felt to cause leaky gut, like dairy and gluten, like calcium, protein, and gluten, I think there are more things that cause leaky gut than we know. And certainly, as we understand more about the microbiome and metabolome, I think reactions occurring at that level are probably causing leaky gut or causing the gap junctions in between our intestinal cells to open a little bit so that chemicals can leak across into our bloodstream and then affect different parts of our body
0: okay great so we all know that rates of childhood obesity type 2 diabetes fatty liver disease which is one that we don't often read about in children um and as well as depression and anxiety like you cited are are on the rise in children and so you know suffice to say experts are concerned because covid with kids at home and you know, they're snacking more and they're definitely more sedentary, have likely increased the rates of childhood obesity and maybe these other chronic diseases. Of course, time will tell. But, you know, COVID has also shined a light on the need to raise kids who eat healthy so that they can avoid these chronic diseases and conditions later on in life. And, you know, I uh, I founded my site in 2017 based on this whole premise that we have to really raise kids who eat healthy because they're going to face these chronic conditions if they, if they don't. And so although it's not something we often think about, should we as parents be thinking about inflammation when it comes to our children?
1: I love the way you put it, because I think that, um, you know, we, we are learning a lot about what we call adverse childhood experiences and their impact on health in the short term as well as in the long term. And so, in a way, this pandemic is an adverse childhood experience. I mean, if you think about it, your child's life is totally disrupted no friends, no school. You know, you're limited within four walls if you don't have a garden to play out. And so, uh, definitely, uh, I think um, COVID is going to lead to more stress. And we know that stress leads to inflammation. And this wasn't a one week or a two week thing. This is now going on for a year. And who knows when it's going to end, when all these things will, uh, you know, all the precautions that we're going to take. Are going to end. So, yes, I think parents should think about inflammation and the inflammation, as we talked earlier, uh, related to stress. And then also think about with that stress, um, how are we counterbalancing it? You know, how are we counterbalancing that stress with uh, physical activity when you can do it or what, uh, uh, sleep hygiene? You know, are we getting good sleep? What kind of social interaction are we having in the family? and then most importantly what food are we putting in our children's bodies and in our own bodies
0: yeah it's so important especially now because we're definitely all of our you know our intentions to eat healthy and move more have i would say for the most part have gone out the window we try our best but it's hard when you're working from home and you've got the kids learning at home so It's definitely something that we have to keep on our radar. And so with kids at home and isolated more than ever before, you know, experts are concerned about mental health as well, and rates of depression, anxiety are are on the rise in kids. And um, so what do we know about inflammation's linked to the microbiome and mental health?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that question, because uh, that's one of the exciting parts of science right now is that we... Uh, As our knowledge about the microbiome is increasing, we're finding more and more connections uh, between the microbiome and uh, the rest of our body. Um, So there's a lot of data linking the microbiome with um, simple things like anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, behavioral problems. And we know uh, that the stress response and the immune system activation is key in the development of let's say depression and anxiety. There's been a lot of research in animal models where researchers have shown the role of the gut microbiome in developing and modulating activity in the brain and the immune system. And have also shown multiple pathways whereby stress-induced inflammation harms brain function and ultimately affects our mental health. So for example, there's several um, chemicals uh, derived from the gut microbiome like short-chain fatty acids and Tryptophan. I will not I won't get into those details, but we know that um, these chemicals, as well as maybe the vagus nerve not working as well, um, can cross over and influence um, uh, mental health. So, so this is that connection between the brain-gut axis, so to speak. And we know that um, stress, inflammation, depression, anxiety, there's a lot going on. And the big question is, what can we do to break that cycle? um, and prevent it from happening or deal with it after it's happened. And so we obviously need more research in this area, but diet, I think is one way to approach this because we know that diet is something that, uh, we can control, we can control what goes in our mouth, um, and can also, uh, influences the microbiome to a great. There are many influences of the microbiome, but diet is one of the big ones.
0: Yeah. You know, so I have, um, I've written about this on my site, but I suffer from generalized anxiety disorder and have had it since I was a child. And diet has absolutely helped. Eating this anti-inflammatory foods and you know, really limiting processed foods has helped a tremendous amount. Um, and of course, we know that COVID has a big impact on kids' stress and anxiety and mood right now. Would you say though that diet really could be the uh the the number one fix for many children of this generation or do you think it is more complicated than diet alone
1: um i think it's more complicated than diet alone because if you look at um what wellness like if if i want if i want a child to be um well person well well all around well i think diet is a huge part of it but also There's sleep, hygiene, physical activity, relationships, a a connection with nature. There are many things that go into that. So I think diet is a big piece of that and of of that whole wellness circle, if you want to call it. And and that's one, as parents, we can definitely influence, uh, not just now when we're feeding our children, depending on how old they are, but also teaching them healthy habits for later on. Uh, because as you pointed out, the lessons you've learned, I'm sure you're imparting those to your children yes. so that they can develop healthy eating. So we have, a, we, have a, we have this huge responsibility to uh, look after, uh, not just, I, I think, first of all, to look after our health because we need to be good models, role models, and then to look after our children so they learn good habits now that will help them later on.
0: Right, right. And prioritizing those healthy habits for yourself is such a great way to model it for your kids. It's like they, they want to do everything you want to do, so they just follow suit. So let's talk about the anti inflammatory approach and what is it and how did it all come to be?
1: Okay. So the anti inflammatory approach is, is really how we look at living a healthy lifestyle. Um, and we're looking at food as one of those biggest components. So how it uh, how it came about was um, there've been many studies, uh, the Seven Country Study, the the Cornell China Study, um, where people have found um, through the ages that certain lifestyles and diet was associated with healthy living, long uh, and uh, long longevity. Uh, so Dr. Andrew Weil um, came up with this anti-inflammatory diet where he took two traditional ways of eating the Mediterranean way, and the Okinawan way of eating and came up with this pyramid called the anti-inflammatory diet pyramid, where he um, uh, pulled into that pyramid uh, all the components of a healthy lifestyle, um, primarily eating that was needed. And many people have come up with similar pyramids, you know, culturally, um, which have also uh, shown uh, this very healthy way of, of eating and living. And it's not just eating, because if you look at the Mediterranean lifestyle and the Okinawan lifestyle, it's also um, uh, looking at whole foods, plant-based diet primarily with with meat and fish, but it's primarily plant-based, a community um, working together, eating together, preparing meals together. So there's that community aspect as well. um, So it's more than just eating. You know, it's like, it's not just the food we put in our bodies, it's how we eat how we shop, how we interact with the food. It's supporting the community we live in, being responsible to the environment. So the anti-inflammatory repro- approach is kind of all these things. And I think that it's its something, and we put this in our book, that it's—it's it's, we have four tenets, which is like plant foods, plant-based, people call it plant-forward diets now, whole foods, like decreased, uh, ultra-processed food. We all have processed foods in our diet to a certain extent. Uh, but decreasing those ultra processed foods, using good healthy fats, um, and then the context of how we eat—you know, where we're we eating, how we're eating—are we eating as a family? Are we eating mindfully? So that's that's this whole anti inflammatory approach, and a big part I think, or uh, an an easy part, uh, is would be to uh, reduction or elimination of those ultra processed foods in our diet.
0: Okay, so you mentioned the core tenets of this anti-inflammatory approach. Can you talk a little bit more in depth about them? Of course. So the plant-based
1: is easy. We want uh, plants to be, or um, the the vast majority of the food you're eating on your on your plate. Um, I like the Harvard Healthy Plate. Actually, it's it's a very nice pictorial description of what uh, people uh, should eat in terms of proportions. I like our anti-inflammatory pyramid because it shows you on the different layers um, how much you should eat, the, bi- the the foods that you should eat in larger amounts at the bottom of this anti-inflammatory table. Uh, and if you look at it, uh, I think it's on page 37 of the book, it's fruits and vegetables. And then the next level up is uh, all the herbs and spices. And then we have uh, higher than that is whole grains and, and uh whole grain products. So if you look at that, that's the bulk of your diet. So we want um, people to be eating whole grain foods. Um, For example, I I made from the book, um, the mushroom and barley um, dish uh, this weekend. And my husband was like, this is amazing. When did you get this from? And I was like, is this good for you? And so of course I launched into uh, my whole, uh, (laughs) yes, barley is good for you. It's whole grain. But, you know, it's, it's, um, so that's, I think that's the biggest thing is to try and incorporate it and to make that slow switch over from processed food to whole grain. I did this many years ago with my children. We stopped buying white bread and the first week there was a little bit of pushback. And then now when they eat white bread, you know, when they go out, my children are much older. It's like, it doesn't taste as good anymore because the yeah. whole grain bread or the sour, you know, it tastes much better. Much, yeah, much better. that's true. Yeah. So, right. Uh, yeah. and so, uh, if you find, and, and the other thing uh, I would say, so that's whole plant foods, whole grain foods, good fats. So good fats are things like olive oil, avocado, nuts, seeds. And we don't need to get fancy. In the book, we outline all the differences between the oils. But you want to eat um, whole foods. Food that's food not been processed too much. So, so you want to stay away from those refined oils or those oil mixes. You want to uh, use like cold pressed oils. And nuts and seeds are a great way of getting healthy fats in your diet. And then the last part is, how do we eat our foods? We want to slow down and eat them. We want want to eat them as a family. We want to enjoy them. We want to model, as parents, good eating behaviors for our children. Uh, And we want to introduce them to all this from an early stage. Do you know that the earliest way you can introduce your children to a healthy diet is When, as mothers, we're pregnant. Yeah. Because, um, you know, those taste buds, they're all developing and children are swallowing amniotic fluid. So, as we eat food and we process it, some of these flavors and these chemicals are in our bloodstream and then they go into the baby through the placenta and the amniotic fluid. And so, you can influence taste as early as that. And then, definitely with breastfeeding, you can definitely influence uh, taste that way. So, yeah, this is, this is, this is, my appro- uh, this is my approach, and I, I want to make sure I, I um, get out there that it's a balance, right? So while I would love to tell you that I have no processed food in my house at all, <laughs> I would be lying to you, yeah. you know? So the theme is to constantly work towards this and try to minimize those excursions uh, into not healthy food.
0: Right, right. Yeah, it's hard, right? I mean, you have to do some processed foods if you live life, but you just don't have time, right, to do everything, scratch cooking. But we, we do the best we can, and definitely focusing more on a whole foods diet is important. And so what does the research tell us about the benefits of, of eating this way and this approach? So
1: uh, th- there's a lot of research. When if you, if, if I do a medical search on the Mediterranean diet, let's say, There are now thousands of publications, and they're exponentially increasing as people are recognizing the value of the Mediterranean diet. And it's very sad, actually, because all this data has been coming out. But when you look now at the way some children are eating in those Mediterranean countries, they're eating the Western way. They're eating sometimes what I call the sad American diet or the salad American diet. So they have lost some of those children are not eating the way their grandparents and great-grandparents ate. But um, the research shows that uh, in adults, there's definitely decreased illness um, from numerous chronic diseases, including heart disease, uh, diabetes, uh, breast cancer, and other cancers, obesity, uh, gastrointestinal diseases like reflux, um, inflammatory bowel disease. We talked about fatty liver earlier, depression, cognitive de- decline, and um, and and uh, doing the Mediterranean diet. There's definitely better sleep outcomes. Uh, Lipid panels are better, uh, which ultimately support heart health. In children, uh, the evidence is increasing. And again, we're seeing less overweight, less obesity. Uh, When they've done studies where they've looked at um, the plaque or the fatty lining inside uh, blood vessels, they've actually shown a decline in that with the the diet. uh, In the kids who are following the diet and the kids who are not following the diet, in teenagers, they've seen uh, the beginnings of that plaque. Uh, so also children have better lung function heart function less asthma and what's interesting in- improved academic performance wow. less sensory That's processing great. abnormalities right don't we yeah. don't we have many kids who have like sensory issues i i see yes. so many patients with that now less adhd fatty liver the list is going on and on less functional gi disorders and i've seen that a lot especially during the pandemic we've had a lot of kids with the stress, have a lot of abdominal pain, etc. Mm. So less functional GI disorders, better mental health and quality of life. So lots of benefits. The list is not as long as in adults, but the evidence is, is coming fast and furious.
0: Right. And again, if we teach our kids to eat this way when they're young, then those habits will continue when they're older and, and hopefully they'll prevent th- from getting those diseases. Um, great. Well, Dr. Mascarenhas, we're going to take a break now. And when we get back, we're going to talk about how to make this doable for parents, because it, it may really seem overwhelming if you haven't eaten this way, but we're, we're definitely going to make it easy for you. So let's take go to a break. Life is so hectic. So finding the time to get a healthy dinner on the table every night and save money on your grocery bill, it sounds like a pipe dream. But with the dinner daily, it can be a reality. The Dinner Daily isn't a meal kit, but a personalized dinner planning service that sends you meal plans and an organized grocery shopping list built around your food preferences, dietary needs, and family size. And it's the only service that uses your grocery store's weekly specials to help you save money up to $1,200 a year or more. I discovered the Dinner Daily last year, and it made meal planning so much easier And my entire family loves the recipes, which are all healthy, balanced, and delicious. And most of them take only 30 minutes to make. The Dinner Daily not only saves you money on your grocery bill, but new members get two weeks free. And right now, you can try it for 15% off with the code HEALTH15. Just go to thedinnerdaily.com and use code HEALTH15. And now, let's get back to this week's episode of Food Issues. In our last segment, we were talking about all of the amazing research that's coming out in terms of how an anti-inflammatory approach and anti-inflammatory foods can help our, ourselves and our kids be healthy and ward off chronic diseases later on in life. So Dr. Mascarenas, let's talk about what are the best inflammatory foods that we should be eating?
1: Okay, so the best anti-inflammatory foods we should be eating are Fruits, vegetables, herbs, and spices. Simple, four things, okay? But if we drill down into those foods, I would say foods with a lot of color. Um, And we talk about the rainbow plate having a lot of color on on your plate. So I'm I'm gonna pick tomatoes, green, leafy vegetables, nuts, almonds, walnuts, um, strawberries, blueberries, cherries, oranges, you know, pick, pick all, but really, Fruit, fruit. There's so many good chemicals of phytonutrients of phytochemicals, antioxidants in fruits and vegetables. That you, if you can eat all of them, that would be great. Uh, I would add in um, fatty fish. You know, salmon um, would be good. Wild salmon would be good. Um, sardines, mackerel. If your kids like that, or if you like it, uh, I would include all that. But those are those are the anti-inflammatory foods I would think of.
0: Okay, and yeah, you know, a lot of kids tend to fall into this pattern of eating, you know, uh, monochromatic foods, all you know, white foods. But would you say that eating really a rainbow of, of colorful foods can encourage them to to try new foods? Absolutely. My uh, my
1: uh, my niece, what she does is she takes the fruits and she makes little faces on a plate, like she make <laughs> a smiley face. You know, with the blueberries are the eyes and the watermelon is as well. So I think I think that's a great way of uh, introducing kids uh, to fruits and vegetables is to make pictures on their plate or in their lunch box to kind of have different containers. So it's like a surprise. You're going to pop open this, and there's something colourful and different inside.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and you know, studies show also that the more variety that you present to your kids, the more likely they are to make healthy choices. So give them give them choices. Let them choose between two types of berries or two types of vegetables or a cooked vegetable and a raw vegetable, um, and and you'll see that eventually they will be able to to make those healthy choices. So when it comes to the foods, are there any uh, foods that are off limits or parents should you know rethink feeding their kids?
1: So the big one is ultra-processed foods, right? Off the list, as much as you can to the best of your ability. But I would say if we could avoid things like refined carbohydrates, like white bread, pastries, or limit the amount you're eating. Um, French fries. French fries are good, but maybe you can make them at home, bake them you know, with the skin on. Yeah. Uh, other fried, deep fried foods, usually when you eat out, they use the worst oil. Um, so if you're going to do that, maybe use an air fryer or, uh, use healthy oils and limit that amount. I think soda and sugar sweetened beverages, I would stay away from, uh, you know, I was a diet cook addict <laughs> and I drink a lot of it. I'm, this is my confession. And once <laughs> I realized I, I stopped buying it, but, um, you know, now and then I indulge myself. So as I said, um, I wouldn't say I've stayed away from it completely, but on a rare occasion I will have one. Uh, I would say limit the red meat in your diet, you know, have it on special occasions um, and processed meats, um, you know, sausages, hot dogs, or buy good quality stuff. If you're going to have those foods, you really want to, you really want to focus on the quality of what you're eating. Uh, margarine, um, you know, large, shortening, I would kind of stay away from those, from those things and use more of the healthy fats like we talk about in the book. Uh, I would also try to use organic foods as best you can. Um, you know, the uh they can be pricey. Um, I like the environmental working group. They have a list where they have the dirty dozen and the clean fifteen. And the clean fifteen you can eat non-organic, they are clean. The dozen are the ones you want to stay away from or limit what you eat. Um and we talk about this a lot uh when we when we counsel patients and what our dietitians at CHOP and myself what we say is, if you can't afford it, that's fine. Um, we hope the goodness of the food will counterbalance some of the chemicals that might be uh, in the food from it not being grown organically.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know if you like Dr. Mark Hyman, but I follow him and I like his approach to the Pegan diet. And so he talks about meat as a condi meat. <laughs> uh, so it's really a tiny, tiny portion or, or you know, a, a, a small portion of meat, because in this country, I think most of us go overboard with the meat. And so you only need, uh, you know, like a fistful or, or whatever of, of meat on your plate.
1: Absolutely. You know, in a way, when you look at Chinese food, Right. There, if you if you order Chinese and bro, uh, beef broccoli, there's a lot of broccoli, not that much Chinese, and not that much uh, meat. And if you go to China, which I had the privilege of going many years ago, uh, there's not that much meat in a in a dish that comes out. You know, it's used as a flavor and there's just a little bit. There's more vegetable in there. So you're right. I I, I like that very much.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and how do you feel about dairy and gluten? Do you think that those are, anti, those are inflammatory foods? Should we stay away from them? Should we limit them? So
1: I, I believe in moderation, everything in moderation. Um, and so let's tackle the, the let's tackle, well, let, let me just say one thing. There is some data that uh, cow's milk protein and gluten may affect that um, the mucosal barrier in the gut. But I don't think it's uniform with everyone. And certainly with gluten, if you have celiac disease or if you have a wheat allergy, you have to avoid it completely. There's no question. There are some patients with what we call gluten intolerance. Um, And uh, for these patients, uh, they can limit the amount that they're eating, but they don't have to take it out of their diet completely. Um, And then the rest of us can have gluten, but it's everything in moderation. And I think if you go to more of, a whole grain, a whole wheat uh, diet, as opposed to a white flour diet, you might see the difference there. And that might be the difference between why some people react so much more than others. Uh, so I think is gluten a bad word? No, gluten's not a bad word uh, for the general pop public. But if you have those conditions I talked about, then you have to be careful. Dairy uh, is also, dairy is a great source of calcium protein, but you can get calcium and protein from other sources. And there are many plant sources where you can get calcium and dairy. No question about it. Uh, we were never designed, I think, to have a lot of milk later on in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look at the Mediterranean diet, uh, it's mainly cheese that they're eating. You know, after, you know, kids, little kids drink milk, but afterwards it's cheese. A lot of cheese, fermented cheese. You know, and in India, and I'm, I'm from India uh, originally, uh there's yogurt, you know we don't drink as much milk later on. We can have buttermilk, which is basically uh yogurt watered down um so and but you're getting the benefits of the ferment fermented product in the yogurt, and you're getting the benefits of the fermented product in the cheese, and it's not large quantities. so do we need to have as much cheese as we as some people do when they're adults? Maybe not um but in children, I think a nice way there are many ways of getting. The goodness of dairy into them without having a lot of dairy, and so I w- I hated milk after a certain age growing up. Uh, but my mother made me drink it because oh. you know it was the west in the west you had to drink your milk. so right. you know that came over to India, and and so as <laughs> soon as I could escape drinking milk, I, the dog got a lot of milk. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not sure it was very good for the dog, but the dog got a lot of milk. Uh, but I tried to escape that, but. I think that if you go back culturally, culturally into what cultures did, um, yogurt, yogurt, cheese, you know, it's fermented. It's already broken down into a way that's probably good for your body.
0: Okay. So one question I had for you is something I haven't been able to find the answer on and have thought about it for years with my own kids is, is yogurt a good source of probiotics? Because there are some experts who say once it's on the store shelf, it loses all of it, but would you say that it is a good source?
1: I think it's a good source. Uh, the okay. best way, the best way, and I haven't done this myself, is to make your own yogurt. I have friends who do it; say it's very easy once they figure it out. And then you, you just and you just get you just get the starter, which is one tablespoon of yogurt. And my mother used to make it at home. You know, in India, it's warm, so she would take yesterday's yogurt, leftover yogurt, put boil the milk, cool it put it over this the next morning because of the heat, leave it outside. It was yogurt. It tastes wow. different. There's no sugar in it. Uh-huh. So it's not sweet. So it's it's sour, It's a little bit sour, but then you can, and we have recipes in the book, you can actually add fruit there, you know, and you can add a little bit of vanilla. You can add a little bit of honey and you can make it sweet if you want it. I like savory yogurt. Uh-huh. So, uh, but yeah, you can make your own yogurt and there are many ways that uh, you can buy appliances at yogurt formers, or you can just there are many, many recipes on the internet how to make you and your yogurt. And that, I think, would be the best way because then you know you're getting, you're getting the real product without anything else added to it. Just if you use organic milk, you, you, take, uh, you, know, you take a spoon of yogurt and then you're keeping it alive. And you, all you need is something warm, a warm oven, and there you have your yogurt.
0: Okay. And so for those of us who are not inclined to make yogurt or have the time, would you say there are specific, not brands, but specific types of yogurts that we should be looking for?
1: I would say when you go, when you go to the store to buy a yogurt, um, if you can buy a yogurt, that's full fat, and we'll get to that in a second, full fat, organic. Um, and they say that they have life cultures, um, that's the kind of yogurt I buy. I buy organic, organic full fat yogurt. That's what I do. Okay. If it could always come in a glass container, that would be great Okay, uh, because plastic, but that's the way it comes. As, as I said, um, if I could, if I would put my mind to it, and maybe that should be something that I do after I've done this interview of make my own yogurt. <laughs> uh, I think that's probably the best way, but I think, yes, if you're going to buy it, buy organic, organic yogurt, uh, 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 without the unsweetened is what I would go with.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. When my daughter, she's almost 10 years old, she was, uh, maybe two, I used to bring her to a mom's group and I would bring her Greek yogurt and she would just eat Greek yogurt without anything in it. It was amazing. Um, (laughs) now of course she wants everything sweetened, but, um, you know, I think kids will eat what you serve them when early on. <laughs>
1: exactly. And Greek yogurt is very good, by the way.
0: Yeah, yeah. yes, very good. High in protein. Yeah, that's yeah. great. So let's talk more about fermented foods and specifically sea vegetables. So in your book, the Anti-Inflammatory Family Cookbook, which we'll get to in a second, um, talks about this. And, you know, my kids actually love miso. Uh, kefir, again, only if it's sweetened. They'll eat fermented pickles and the seaweed snacks. But foods like kimchi have definitely been harder for them to uh, even try, um, although I enjoy it. So how do you recommend parents introduce these foods that have these kind of tough tastes, right? So we have to be crafty,
1: you know? <laughs> uh, we have to really... Uh, so I think what I what I tell my patients is, Add it in very small amounts um, into foods where, you, where they can be disguised. So salad dressing into a glaze. Um, for example, adding it to a smoothie, right? Yogurt, kefir, you can add it to a, to a smoothie. And then just try it and try it multiple times. And then try it early on, like, the, like what you did with your daughter and the Greek yogurt. Uh, sometimes even the pickled juice, even adding, you'll get benefit from adding a little bit of that pickle juice into something that you're cooking. Okay. Um, would would be a benefit. So so I would say be crafty and you know this is how sneaky I was when I was trying to get my I was trying to get my kids to eat vegetables. I would make them um, you know uh, uh, a meat dish and I would I would slice the vegetables or cut up the eggplant into such small pieces that it would literally dissolve in the gravy in the curry so to speak. And so they were getting a lot of stuff that they didn't know. They thought they were just eating meat. They were getting a lot of vegetables. You know, so I think similarly for the fermented food, cut it up into very small pieces, add little bits just to flavor. So for the kimchi, if you're making a pasta sauce and you add a little bit, even half a teaspoon into a batch of pasta sauce, they won't they won't know it's there. Uh-huh. And then over time, you gradually increase a little bit. And if you chop things fine, you can slowly you can slowly get those good things in. Yes. Crumble the seaweed wafers, you know, into so it's little 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 green flecks over there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The seaweed snacks are great because they're they're like a healthier chip and kids. Yes, they're, they definitely like them for sure. Um, and then, you know, uh, kefir is is like I said, my kids like it sweetened and it's most of the brands if it's if it's sweetened are they're high in sugar. But do you think yeah. that the benefits of drinking kefir because of the probiotics outweigh the, the risks of the sugar?
1: You know, as I say, everything in moderation and try to find the brand that has the least amount of sugar.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or you can get unsweetened and then add your own fresh fruit, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That's great. So herbs and spices, they're a big part of this anti-inflammatory eating approach. And, you know, I admit in my own cooking, I've never been really adventurous in using them and often stick to basics like cinnamon and ginger and paprika, really basic stuff because I just don't know how to use anything else. Um, But would you say that it's important to start introducing herbs and spices early when you start with baby food? Yes, actually, in India, babies are uh, when they get them onto baby food.
1: It's usually a mixture of, uh, of rice and lentils and overcooked. So it's like, uh, it's like a porridge, so to speak. But they add a little bit of cumin in there and they add a little bit of ginger in there. Again, kind of get kids used to that flavor. So you can add, you can add uh, spices fairly early on. And in our, in our uh, book, we have recipes that can be turned into baby food, uh, either by themselves by just pureeing it down, or by adding other things to them so that you get a more wholesome meal for the baby. But yes, I would say adding it adding it earlier. And what we've done is we have some spice blends, if you look at the book, and it would be good to make those spice blends ahead of time and keep them ready. And then that way you can add a dish, a dash of Tex-Mex to your pasta sauce or wherever you can. If you're baking something, you can add just a little bit of, like where you'd add your paprika, you add a splash of this. You know, so I think, that's, that's a simple way of adding them in, but they're very, very important because a small amount packs a huge anti-inflammatory uh, punch, and that's why we have it on the second layer from the bottom of, of our anti-inflammatory um, table, because it's so, so important and, uh, uh, to add to your diet. So I would say uh, add them in wherever you can, add very small amounts to start off with. I add turmeric wherever I can, boiling vegetables. I just put a little turmeric in, boiling my rice, I put a little bit of turmeric in just, and just a little bit, you don't need to add a lot uh, because over time it adds up. And when you combine turmeric and pepper, you get many, many more times the anti-inflammatory power of either of those two spices by themselves.
0: Wow, I love that, I'm gonna try that. You know, I make a, um, I think it's called golden milk and it's just, uh-huh. I'll use almond milk with turmeric and ginger and a little bit of honey. and. My kids love it. They cannot stop drinking it. And that's a great way to get those herbs and spices in too, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: yeah. Great. Yeah. So let's talk about some practical tips because this can seem really overwhelming for parents, especially if they're used to, you know, relying on those processed foods that are easy, like box mac and cheese. I, I know I do t- sometimes too, but, um, it, it can be hard to, to make this full transition to a whole foods diet. And so what are some practical tips for getting kids to be more adventurous eaters and, and raise them to grow and accept and love these foods? Okay, so the the big
1: thing is, I think repeated exposure to new foods. So try different uh, multiple times. And my rule, I tell my patients, is um, you have you have to taste the veggies your mom puts on your plate. You have to to take even a lick or a bite or a spoonful. That's it. You have to you you have to take you have to try it. But repeatedly exposing them will be. It sometimes takes ten to fifteen positive exposures to get a child really. To start eating a food, I would say introduce a variety of flavors and textures very early on. uh, You know, when you're even as early as in uterus, we spoke about, but when you're uh, putting a child on baby food. So introduce them as early as you can. For slightly older kids, I would um, talk to them, make make food adventurous. Talk Mm -hmm. about different cultures. Maybe you talk about, you know, I don't know, Indian culture and, and, expose them, read books and and try different things, maybe uh, check out how how do Indians, what do they do with rice versus the Chinese versus, you know, uh, Latin America? Like how do they make, so try and make it an adventure and um, eat out. Now we can't do this, but eat out when you can or make these foods at home. You know, what we've tried to do that with our cookbook is incorporate uh, foods of different cultures uh, just to uh, expose people to how different, you know, different cultures use these foods. Uh, But I would say make it adventurous. Um, Eat together. Children and adults should eat together. And we should model uh, our behavior. So we should have good eating habits. um, And children should be offered the same food that we are. Mothers and fathers who cook at home are not short order cooks. So we should model the behavior. We should eat the same food. um, And start that off when you're putting your uh, child on baby food. And then don't give up. Expect refusal. Expect them to say no, I'm not. But be calm. Don't get anxious. Stay consistent. And remember, your long-term goal is: I want them to eat one fruit and vegetable a day. Work with that. Some kids are big fruit eaters, and if the the choice is, then how do we add veggies in? And so what I do is, uh, this is what I've done at home: is I've added fruit to the vegetable dish, so you have a little bit of sweetness. Uh-huh And then you have the veggies, and then you change the proportion over time. so be creative yeah, that's great be creative get get sneaky add add veggies into the pasta sauce or if you have if they like a pasta dish, put little bits of broccoli in there, you know uh, and then they're gonna be eating the broccoli or peas so uh so I think just 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 think of the long term goal and don't get discouraged in the short term and then as kids get older. Um Give them a greater say and responsibility for family meals, maybe making the the grocery list, maybe going to the grocery with you or planning the meals for the week, or maybe if 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 you are someone who tries to do some prep ahead of time and keep stuff ready in the fridge so that you know on a weekday you can take stuff out that's already been cooked cut up et cetera yeah, involve them in that as they get older, especially teenagers, you know, and have them involved and make make eating a pleasant experience, a happy experience and a family experience. And I think back, uh, uh, my comfort foods, they were all related to what we did together. Like my mother would bake cakes, right. Uh, or we would make a dish together. I, that, that, those are my memories. Uh, and so you want, we want our children to grow up with those memories and food should be a good thing. Food, food is our friend.
0: That's right. These are all great points. So your book, your co-authored this book called the Anti-Inflammatory Family Cookbook. And I have to say, it is amazing. The recipes are absolutely doable, easy, delicious. Um, my daughters and I were looking through it and one of my daughters who, who loves to cook, well, actually she's seven and she'll cook dinner sometimes on her own. Um, she wanted to try, actually both of them had said that they, they love the butternut black, uh, enchilada square. So we're definitely going to try those. And there's also a great recipe in here for ranch dressing, which I want to make because so many dressings are high in sugar. So what are your favorite recipes from the book?
1: Well, after this weekend, the Bali mushroom <laughs> is my favorite, but I like the salmon poke bowl, Okay, the uh, cauliflower rice and beans. I love the turmeric scrambled eggs and the tempeh coconut curry. Those are my favorites. I, I like all the Indian, uh, the st- you know, the, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, of course. The, and I love the way we put tofu in, you know, instead of the paneer. Uh, uh, when you go through it, you'll see the recipes. But I love all the Indian recipes in there. And I, I love the sauces and the dressings. And it's really so easy to make these dressings and just keep them in your fridge. And the spice blend. So when I, when your readers are looking at the book, I would really encourage them to go to that section. And look at all those things that you can have ready ahead of time to flavor your food and make 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 the the flavors jump out. You know, make them more alive.
0: That's great. Yeah, those are great tips. And we'll definitely look, link to the book in the show notes. And so, Doctor Mascarenas, where can listeners go to get more information about these food issues and you?
1: Well, I would highly recommend the Chop uh, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia Integrative um, Health website. Um, We have some of these anti-inflammatory recipes there. In fact, uh, Jonathan Deutsch um, um, and um, the other authors on this, we've collaborated in some videos. So you can actually see people um, making the food and we have some other useful uh, tips. Uh, We will be coming out with a website for the book, but not as yet, but we should have all that information on the CHOP Integrative Health website. So I would recommend you go there.
0: Great. And we'll link to that. Well, Dr. Mascarenas, thank you so much for all of this amazing information about the anti-inflammatory approach and anti-inflammatory foods. We really appreciate your time today. I'm Julie Revelant, and thank you for tuning into this episode of Food Issues. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review or share it with a friend. Also, be sure to sign up for my newsletter at julierevelant.com for exclusive updates and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.